people are talking to each other today and none of them are talking to me. Sorry, Torchy, did you say something? I haven't anyone to talk to. I feel very lonely. Yes, yes, how tragic. Oh, uh, hello everyone. Uh, sorry, no time for a proper introduction today. We're back in the first season of Space 1999 for an encounter with another unstoppable psychopath. Here's End of Eternity. <laughs> oh, do shut up. So here we are, returning to the first season of Space 1999, and it feels like it's been a while since we've uh, last been here. I know we were here for uh, Earthbound, I think, at uh, around about Christmas, wasn't it? But this is only, uh, I think, our third visit to the first season. We've had lots of uh, trips to the second season, of course. Oh, I love this shot of the eagle parked sideways on the asteroid. Because that's where we are today. We're starting off on a mysterious asteroid. Never normally a good thing for the Alphans. You'd think they might have learned that. It's an now. atmosphere source somewhere inside this asteroid. Inside. We're three light years away from the nearest star system. If the asteroids come from there, to get this far at its present velocity, it's been traveling through space for at least a thousand years. Hmm. Bye then. I do like it when, it seems to happen a lot in this this show particular, when characters radio in to report something and then like once they've delivered their line, they just, they're done, they switch off. No one even says bye or thank you, it's just, no, I'm gone. We've uh, blown our way into the interior atmosphere of the asteroid. Mm -hmm. yeah. Let's take a look. Revealings. Luckily there's an interior door that uh, didn't immediately vent all the atmosphere out into space. And as much as, like, um, things like underwater scenes, you know, slow motion scuba diving can be uh, a bit tedious in TV and films, I do really like scenes of um, the Alphans glumping around in slow motion in their spacesuits. So we're back from the opening titles, and this is one uh, written by Johnny Byrne. I always find his, his scripts of this show um, well, let's be fair, he did so much to give this show its its heart and its spirit, and even if the his episodes don't always come off 100%, they are always... Atmosphere breathable! Almost just as interesting for how he came up with the ideas um, as they are to, to watch in their own right. If you've ever, ever seen him interviewed in various documentaries or in uh, articles and such, he, he really was uh, quite a fascinating man. We're now slowly creeping our way through the uh, the interior of this asteroid. Lots of, uh, well, lots of tunnels leading off places. Oh, and a door. Um, which, uh, yeah, was uh, upside down for that shot. No use. And appropriately enough, considering the, the way this episode is going to turn out, this really does feel like the uh, the beginnings of a horror film, as as so many Space 1999 episodes do, um, but certainly first season ones. Um, some might argue episodes from the second season were uh, horrors in a different way, but uh, yeah, I do love this sort of natural curiosity leading to, oops, utter disaster. Baxter, you all right? Not Baxter. All right, Commander. Yeah, the uh, 
The door wouldn't respond to lasers. Koenig shot it, wandered off, and it exploded on our good friend Baxter. Sure you're alright? Yeah, I think so. Who I waffled over Koenig actually calling uh, Jim back there, even though his name's Mike. The actor's name's Jim Smiley. Now we're in a room with some uh, rather nasty paintings. Underneath one... Oh, bloody hand. And this is an episode as well that uh, also makes really, really good use of um, non-Barry Gray library music. There's some really sinister atmospheric stuff in here. It's in a bad way, Commander. I doubt if you'll make it. And I've always wondered to what extent... Vision really ripped him apart. ...that extra music was... Um, Let's get him back to Alpha as quickly as we can. Right. ...was included maybe to... Um, because Barry Gray only... Um, scored four episodes, and I was just wondering if it was always the plan to to have him do four and then bolster it with with library material, or was it his own idea? But whoever it was, it's a one room world. It was a stroke of genius because in in episodes like this, with the the horror content that this one has, the normal sort of jolly Barry Gray stuff doesn't quite it doesn't quite fit as well then we've got now like a dozen people escorting this uh, injured man to the uh, medical center now I, I love that this show had so much money to throw around in the first series that they could afford so many extras because you're not doing anything. Yeah, they even have they have too many extras to um, even like give enough jobs to. All right, Doctor. Oxygen small. It's registering stable. Vital signs. Erratic. Switch on. And this is a really um, really interesting uh, little scene as well. Koenig and Bergman watching uh, Helena and her medical staff trying to uh, to save this injured man on a monitor. And it feels very realistic. It feels very naturalistic, the dialogue and the performances. Obviously, it doesn't last very long, but I think they were even letting one or two of the extras speak there. I'm sorry. Well, you try it. What now? An autopsy, I suppose. And Dr. Mathias is like, oh, yeah, I suppose that's going to be on me. <sighs> he doesn't even have to say anything now. He just knows he's going to get all the rubbish jobs. That's it. Pulling the sheet back over our very dead man, because he's very, very dead. Honest. Mike, the blast hit you harder than it hit the rest of us. A medical seems to think that there might be some damage. Now, you're not a main character, but you're not an extra either, so it's a kind of a grey area as to how we proceed no with this. No bull about it. Oh, he said a rude word, he said a rude word. Check you out. As soon as you're clear, I'm sure you'll be able to fly again. As far as I'm concerned, there's no problem. I mean, you can fly anything you want, even if your eyes are falling out of those sockets. I don't care. You've seen some of my landings. I'm not going to criticize you for uh, any of yours. Oh, and I really like this as well. Um, this autopsy scene. It's um, Helena and Matthias and an orderly. For some reason, they're all sort of wearing plastic uh, smocks. Um, which I suppose is hygienic enough, but that's not what I'm trying to get at. The, the point is we are outside whichever room in the uh, medical center this is all happening in. 
with the door shut, so we can't hear their reactions when they pull off the uh, face bandages. And see, he's absolutely fine. And now they start yelling at each other in silence to do things. Again, that's just such a cool little director touch. And it's only, it only happens a moment before we get dialogue back. John! Just a little while ago, that man was severely injured. He was mutilated beyond description. I happen to know because I dressed his wounds myself. In fact, it was my own firing at the door and causing a massive explosion that injured him. He indicated that he had died. Well, now he's alive. And what's more, we can't find any sign of injury, internal or external. He is completely healed. No cell decay. Oh, his body is being held in some sort of stasis. Helena, that asteroid's been out in space for maybe a thousand years. Is it possible that he's been out there all that time? Well, these figures are just early indications. But if they're leading us where I think they are, anything is possible. I do. I also love that in the first seasons, presenting the orphans with a problem—not just a problem, but something that's so far beyond human understanding—and just watching them kind of stumble around in the dark for an explanation because it's all they can do, at least at first. Right from the atmosphere chamber, and uh, I bombarded it with antimatter to try and break down its molecular structure. <laughs> that sounds wildly dangerous, Victor. I just, I thought I'd uh, use a flamethrower on it and uh, chuck a couple of nukes in there. Yeah, we'll see what happens. And now look. Ooh, so the asteroid rock can be destroyed. And then it reappears again. Remind you of anyone? It's the same piece of rock. Somehow reformed reintegrated, regenerated. Just like the cell structure of the alien. My guess is that it's not really a rock at all, but a living organism. You can burn it, scrape it, blast it, bombard it with antimatter, and somehow it'll regenerate itself. And this is, a, a, again, a, I think, maybe I, I enjoy the direction on this more than anything else, but... This scene of Bergman hypothesizing is intercut with scenes of our alien visitor waking up. Organic matter? Or was it created for some specific purpose? And again, these scenes of, of um, I'll call him Balor because I know that's his name, um, waking up are in total silence with, with ominous music. Oh, and he's out. And now we're going to get some, I think, reasonably impressive fight scenes, again in silence with creepy music. Um, yeah, lots of stuntmen flying around in in silence. It's... And this music fits so well that it could honestly have been composed for this. Oh, and that's the security guard getting his face mushed against the doorframe and bounce off the trampoline into the wall and he's down. Um... Oh, and I can't remember that security guard's name, but he was in a lot of... He was in a lot of things. He was, he was a very brave man. He's the guy who gets um, uh, set on fire at the end of uh, License to Kill. He's the one who did that stunt. Anyway, Balor is now stalking his way down Moonbase Alpha's corridors, pausing to have a quick uh, stroke of the old uh, compost in the corridor. How do I look? Fine. 
I mean, for an obviously doomed character, you look fine. When do I get back to flying? Well, we'll have to uh, check the tests first. And this is a... Checks, checks, checks. Another really strong guest performance, and one I don't think gets enough uh, recognition in the first season, is um, uh, Jim Smiley as, as Mike Baxter, who... Yeah, it's a really kind of... Um, sad aspect to this story. We essentially... As this show did a couple of times. Grounded. We we don't just present um, the non-regular Alphams as um, you know essentially cannon fodder the way you might see uh, similar characters on on Star Trek. You know, put on a red shirt and you're um, you're going to be zapped or whatever. This show liked to take the time more than once to to really explore who these minor but doomed characters were before they met their end. It's been severely damaged. And now, poor old Mike has been told that he can't fly because of uh, damage to his eye. Me alone. And of course, his uh, leave me alone. His entire the entire layout of his quarters is just full of models of planes and pictures of spacecraft on the wall. This flying is clearly his entire life for his whole life, and now we have this very sad shot of him looking at the little model plane and uh yeah that is very sad and it again reinforces the um i think the sadness the inherent sadness of everybody on alpha because they've all had to lose so much that made them happy they're all just barely clinging on to existence by the the slimmest of margins that even losing you know as we can clearly see, losing Baxter losing his um, his ability to fly is just uh, devastating when there's so little to hold on to. Father, the aliens escaped from security. Oh, we put two men on the door. That should have been enough. And Peter um, Bowles, who I apologise in advance, I may actually say Peter Bowles because for the longest time I kept thinking his name was pronounced Bowles. So if I say Bowles, I don't mean Bowles. I mean Bowles. Um, he gives a, a very strong, very interesting performance in this uh, episode, and I think the sequence where he's wandering around Alpha not specifically being evil or sinister, he's just... He's just exploring. Because he genuinely doesn't know where he is or who all these, all these strange people are. Uh, is really effective. Also helps that he appears to be wearing... Um, platform shoes that are about well they look about two inches tall so all the elephants are running away but oh there's a poor little poor little lady on the floor who can't oh she couldn't get up and everybody kept trampling her um anyway we're gonna throw our two security guards who failed earlier back at the problem that'll take care of it and they brought two of their buddies and similarly it's not going very well Though the uh, the stunt man for uh, Peter Bowles there is is quite obvious, as is that cable holding up the uh, the guy he just uh, lifted over his head. Anyway, Koenig and Alan are here now, and Koenig will let Alan do the uh, dangerous work and fire at the naughty man. Use the kill ray. No, please, please, I must talk to you. My name. Is Valor 
Hi, Balor. I am a citizen of the planet Progron. Now is the time to stop, to talk, to try to understand each other. Peter Bowles is, yes, I think, doing a really good job here because he is just the, he's bringing just the right sort of. Do not misunderstand me. Element of, of great service. Sliminess is the only word I can really think of. Um, he very much feels like a, a politician making a, making promises he has no intention of keeping. I don't understand why you're not dead. But he does also seem very sincere, particularly when he's talking about his own history. We were mortal, as you are. Our scientists began to experiment with the forces of life and death. They found first a means to eliminate the aging process in living tissue. My body is immortal. I also like that they've brought Palor to main mission to have this conversation. Rather than just go straight to Koenig's office, Koenig is, is quite willing to make this, um, this a, a public forum for anyone to pitch in with uh, any observations. I will tell you what happened on my world. And then perhaps you will begin to understand. Although I believe this is one of um, maybe only a couple of episodes in which Xenia Merton appears but doesn't have any dialogue. We tried to reverse the process. We tried to instill in the minds of our people the thought that only death gives a purpose to life, that a full response to life can only be measured against the fear of death. How can you value life if you do not fear death? I persisted, but in the end they turned on me. I was the enemy, the cause of all their misfortune. A prison was constructed out of living rock, and I was shut in and cast out suffer eternal solitude for what were considered my crimes. Oh, Helena's uh, eyes are watering. She's clearly bought it. The others, uh, maybe not so sure. And also, I, I believe this is um, one of the final screen villains that uh, Peter Bowles played. Throughout the, the 60s, he was, uh, he was a familiar face in these ITC shows. He would turn up in things like... Like the Saint and uh, and others, the Avengers was another where he was always he was always the baddie. And then this episode um, had a uh, a certain profound effect on um, various female members of uh, of the audience. Uh, he ultimately had more than one woman turn up on his doorstep, saying, you know. I saw you playing the most evil man in the universe. Please, uh, please do with me what you will. I believe one of these women actually came over from America, and uh, after that, he was he was not so keen to play uh, any villainous roles. Which is why a, a lot of his uh, subsequent work, as um, in sitcoms and such, that space adds up. And you can read about that in his. Um, Autobiography, which actually has, um, well, it makes sense. oddly enough, 
a photograph in there designed by Immortality. me. Um, because I went through a phase in sort of 2008, 9, 10-ish of um, sending out um, photographs asking for um, actors' autographs. And I designed like a, a Space 1999 template, which I was quite proud of. And um, I sent one to to Peter asking for it to be signed. I never got it back, but that I didn't... I didn't mind because um, you know I don't I'm not owed anything and um, oh I'm, I've waffled all over the uh, yeah that is a really nasty clip there those paintings are so ugly Error. destruction yeah he didn't sign he didn't uh, return the photo I don't care um, but he published it in the photo section of his autobiography. Maybe that's what he offered. So, yeah, clearly he appreciated it on some level. It was quite a strange thing to um, see a copy of that in Waterstones, flick through, thinking, oh, I wonder if he's got anything about Space 1999 in there. Uh-huh. Something he hasn't told us about. Yeah, those paintings are really nasty. And that's that sudden... Although we saw them in the um, chamber earlier, seeing those sudden close-ups with the screaming... I want you to run a constant computer check on Ballard's whereabouts. Which really, really brings home the... Uh, the violence in those images, like people with great big spikes stuffed through their their heads. That's quite strong stuff, even for a, you know, just a painting. Um, I would assume those are paintings by Keith Wilson, but they are very nasty. And speaking of very what nasty... What do you want? I can understand you resenting me. Balor has turned up in Mike Baxter's plain-filled quarters. Just as an aside, it would have been really cool if one of the uh, aircraft seen on display here was uh, something from like the Century Twenty One era. What is it? And your minor disability. Oh, but he's got some uh, air um, model aircraft kit boxes there as well. Perhaps I can help you. Oh yeah, with that that lovely smile. Who could resist that? Commander, computer reports that Malor has just entered Mike Baxter's quarters. So naturally, Koenig goes to uh, speak to the um, sinister, possibly dangerous alien, all alone, without security. But uh, Balor doesn't seem to be here, just uh, Mike. Well, I'm glad to see you feeling better about things, Mike. Balor was here. What did he want? And as I, I believe I covered this quite extensively in my uh, top 10 scariest Space 1999 moments video a couple of years back. <coughs> this attack scene is so... Not only is it so violent, far more violent than you would um, really expect this show to be, the fact that you're not seeing the actual <coughs> violence that we are the plane and we are the person being hit by the plane. <laughs> Ending with this massive screaming brain death thing. Oh gosh, yeah. Bit of the older bit of the old extreme ultra violence there. Again, beautiful direction, but not just beautiful direction, strange direction. Um I think I read a review of this show once, the series as a whole, that said, you know, Space 1999 is the only show where every week you're guaranteed to see a grown man screaming in absolute hysteria. Um, 
but with scenes like this, oh. And we don't need, we don't even really need to see the aftermath of the attack, just the bloodied hand is enough. And the fact that we know um, that there was, you know, there were, that, that there was like copious amounts of uh, blood applied to uh, to Landau for this, for the aftermath of the scene. Really gruesome injury detail. Um, oh, and this huge pool of blood on the floor after... Baxter got the jump on me. He was still battering me when, when I passed out. And yet look at me now. There was a mark on me. Bob, I want to report on what caused this death. Yes, we rush an autopsy through straight away. Oh, that expression, that attitude of the hands. Where have we seen that before? So the asteroid. There's pictures on the walls. And I always wonder if um Ballard could have Baxter looks not just dead, but very, very, very dead, almost like rigor has already set in, and I always wondered if he had to be buried in that position with his hands up. Mouth wide open like that. Paul, locate Balor. Have him come to my office. Ask the nice evil killer alien to come and have a meeting with me. Oh, but Balor's already there. Do you visit one of our people? A man called Baxter. He's now dead. Is he? And again with the direction here, because this scene is lit with um, lots of heavy shadows in Koenig's office. I don't know, you went to Baxter's quarters. And Peter Bowles is. Um, is hovering around in those shadows quite a bit. It's very effective. And you waited until he thrashed me within an inch of my life. And then you came back and healed my wounds. Correct? And an awkward moment of dubbing here. Yes, everything that you say is absolutely Why? I'm not sure why. That seems to be the only dubbed line in the entire scene. You will follow my way. My philosophy will prevail here now. You see, Koenig, when you released me from my isolation, you left something there very precious to me. My paintings. Of course you noticed them. Scenes of terror, torture, chaos, destruction. Yes. I know now that they were put there to remind you of what you did to your own people. Right again, Koenig. And a thousand years of reflection have convinced me I was right, and now I have found a golden opportunity to prove it. Accept the challenge, Koenig. Surrender to the exquisite forces of pain and suffering, and you will transcend your limitations. I love how excited Balor is by the thought of all this. What you offer is evil. We will resist you. Oh, please, don't make me kill you. Careful with mortals. And it's a really nice dynamic as well between Bowles and, and Landau. Baxter was too lucky. Because you can see that Koenig is clearly... Alpha, your people. He knows how dangerous what, what Balor is promising would be. Um, he knows this guy could kill him in an instant, very horribly, but he still knows he has to stand up to him. You'll see. No. How will you stop me? And Bowles is just tiptoeing on the right side of um, of madness, tipped with the knowledge that he has the ability to 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 do everything he says. 
Oh, that's it. Balor's on the loose in main mission. And he's going after the most important thing in the room. No, don't do it. Not Kano's desk. Oh, no. There will be death and destruction on this base. Until he agrees. Now, there's an extra in this scene who I've seen um, several times in other episodes. She always seems to be smiling, even in moments of um, extreme peril like this one. She had a she had a great big smile on her face. Um, I don't know what that's all about. Anyway, Balor's on the loose in Alpha again. Killer can't be killed. And of course, that's the basic premise of the episode. That was the idea that uh, Johnny Byrne then developed into this wonderful character of Balor. Balor is tearing Alpha apart. Well, can't we do something? Yes, hold out. Until we come up with something. Although I would say that maybe this uh, is an example of... Um, yeah, show, don't tell. And we just had Paul there saying, you know, all these terrible things are happening that we can't show you. Oh, but now here we are in medical centre. Maybe we will see something now. Dr. Russell. Your medical functions here are now obsolete. Oh, and that's it for a little dark-haired orderly lady. But it isn't clear if he uh, kills her or not. I will not kill you. Because nobody actually confirms it one way or another. One of our orderlies. Valor is a cold-blooded killer. And I know she, you know, based on what she says there, it sounds like that orderly is probably probably dead. I would uh, argue that the fact she turns up in later episodes very much alive is um, possibly evidence that she she recovered. As was often the case in uh, in shows like this. I think in the second series, Harry Fielder is an extra who gets killed and then the next week he's back alive again like nothing happened. That. You're right. I'll put it through the comlux. And I'm actually, uh, I'm re-watching the original Star Trek at the moment. You'd be surprised how many people, you know, this guy gets killed. This guy in the red shirt gets killed, and then next week he's um, he's alive and well again, like nothing happened. I turned the whole area into a vacuum. You agree to my terms? No psychopath is going to dictate terms to us, Balor. I mean, we got rid of Simmons already. We don't need you. Because <laughs> oh. as powerful as Balor is, he's um. Not beyond being a little manipulated by uh, Koenig on his uh, on his vanity and his ego. As soon as I'm clear to pressurize, are you crazy? You'll tear you to pieces. You can't fight Alan, him. Alan, I know that. What do you want me to do? Invite him to leave? So of course we now have a uh, daring heroic plan to put into operation, and that requires Koenig does it alone. For some reason. What's happening? He's gone in there to take Bella alone. Poor old Balor's looking a bit bored now. He's uh, plodded around Alpha, wrecked everything. And Balor seems to be aware as well that he's being lured into a trap uh, as the doors are slowly closing behind him as he advances on Koenig. I also like that the uh, the airlock doors are only um, identified by stickers that are put on there. You would expect, since it's always going to be the airlock door, it might be a bit more uh, permanent. But Ready here, Paul. I suppose in this situation it's lucky that it isn't. What are you doing here, Kone? Thinking. 
thinking about accepting my offer. This is my favorite thinking airlock. I mean place. Maybe. And here we discover a new power of Palos. Any more time, Koenig? An electric slap. Which you would think might have been useful, um... Look, Balor, I need a little more time. Alright, Koenig, I would have to say that Peter Bowles is, um... having a blast with this. He looks like he's having so much fun. Oh, that's it. Koenig to the door. Paul trying to close the airlock door, but... Time's up, Coney. Big to be too late. I want your decision. No, Coney! And that was the, the limit of Xenia Merton's contribution to this episode. She stood up. She had a close-up there where she stood up. I mean, I know things were rough for her on the second season, but um, usually whenever she appeared there, she had lines. Balor is now tossing Koenig around in the airlock. I'm trying not to kill you, Coney. But he's so secure in his own superiority, he's not expecting... Oh, that... Koenig's got himself punched out the airlock. Doors closed. Outer doors open. <sighs> and it's all sorted. It's all over. Um, Are you all right, Commander? Yeah. Although I never quite understood how Balor being ejected from the base seems to... Um, I don't know what happened after that. Because now we have this scene of them um, planting charges to blow up the asteroid. But what happened to Balor out on the... Because he wouldn't have achieved escape velocity to get off the moon. He's got to be somewhere on the lunar surface. Did they have an eagle come in with, like, um, one of those um, grabs like you get in the arcade machines to sort of pick him up and, um, I don't know, put him back on the asteroid, maybe? There is actually a um, the first in the... Powers Media Space 1999 continuation books, which I only recently read. I like that we survived. Which, um... It was our fault. We unleashed him. We meddled. We interfered with another people's justice. We must learn to leave some things alone. Mm. Until next week where we unleash yet another horror that we really shouldn't go anywhere near. The price was too high. Yeah, the, um, the... I believe the book is called Resurrection. I, I want to say that it was written by William Latham. And it sort of picked up on the premise that um, Balor was just left on the lunar surface. I think, if I'm remembering that correctly. It's a very good book. Um, well worth a look. Anyway, the uh, destroyed asteroid has resurrected itself. Ending the, the story on a nice, ominous note. And that was End of Eternity, which has never been one of my like absolute favourite Space 1999s. I... It has a lot of strong ideas in it. It's it's just like a nice, typical... I don't want to use the word average episode because an average episode of Space 1999 is still awesome. But um, yeah, some fantastic acting from Peter Bowles. Love a bit of Balor. 